Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode number two of Midnight Cheese. I am your host, Tom Osborne. And tonight's episode is entitled The Pack Quack Attack. Tonight, we're going to be going over the Green Bay Packer victory over the Washington Redskins. And I have a film theory about the Mighty Ducks franchise. Stay tuned and stay classy. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and start off with numero uno on today's docket, on today's list of things that I want to talk about is going to be the 10 and 3 Green Bay Packers. That's right. You heard me. 10 and 3 sitting with the number two seed in the NFC. It was a strange victory and not a very sexy victory, but when you put together 20 points and hold your opponent to 15 guess what you just did you won you won a football game winning is the ultimate goal not getting as many yards yards doesn't win you a game touchdowns really don't win the game if you don't have the same amount or more as your opponent it is quite simple we're not winning sexy we're winning though that's what matters we keep on winning it's simple Put Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams on that offense and get after it. That's what we did. Rodgers was 18 for 28 for 195 and a touchdown. And guess what? No interceptions. Shocker. Only because he's the best quarterback in the league. And I say that because he's the one who does not turn the ball over. Two. Two interceptions. Both of which were tipped. So really, he has yet to throw an errant pass or a pass that maybe Jameis Winston would throw, uh, and he still wins games. Like It's ridiculous. We've lost to the Chargers, we've lost, lost to the Eagles, and we lost to the Niners. Potentially, the Eagles could win that division, which is a playoff team. The Niners are probably the best team in football next to Baltimore. And the Chargers game was a fucking fluke. A fluke. We didn't show up. Maybe it is something on the West Coast. I don't know. But Aaron Jones was 16. uh, 16 carries for 134 and a touchdown. or Six receptions for 58 yards. Pretty big fantasy football day. Devontae Adams had a measly four receptions for 41 yards. But that's okay because he got a lot of people involved. Jimmy had a couple big catches. Alan Lazard had a couple big catches. It's really looking like our team is using the weapons we have in the positions that they're in. We can run the ball on teams. We can pass the ball on teams. And our defense, when given a chance to actually do something, can focus in on stopping the run. I think that our defense is a pretty legit defense to go into the playoffs. We had four sacks, which is decent. I don't think Z or Preston had one. I think they were Blake. I know had one. Kenny, I think, had two and a half. Uh, but it was really one of those victories that the whole defense just came together and said, we're going to stop AP, which they kind of did, and we're going to stop Darius Geis. And I know that Darius Geis was the one who was really running it down everyone's throats, but we ended up really stopping him. Darius Geis is a downhill runner, which we knew. So we stacked the box, and we made Dwayne Haskins beat us, which a hobbling Dwayne Haskins is like licking your chops. We did get one interception by Amos. Looked pretty good. 
Uh, strong point goes to our uh, uh, defensive uh, coordinator, Mike Panette. He's very much so a blitzing defensive coordinator, which I do like. I like if you have the speed weapons that we do on the edge to put them in. Our defense at times does give up big plays, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. They know what they're doing. Sure, it's frustrating at times. Sure, Kevin King giving up a 46-yarder on third and eight. That sucks. But we're winning football games. Sure, they're nerve-wracking. That's the best part about Sunday. Will my team win? And guess what? Packers win. And we're going to keep winning. So we got the Bears in Green Bay. We got Minnesota at Minnesota and Detroit at Detroit. Why can't we win all three of those games? We've already proven that we can beat Minnesota. We've beaten them all already. We're undefeated in the division. So why not sweep the table, go 13-3, and three, continue with the two seed or the one seed, depending on what happens to San Francisco, New Orleans, and Seattle. But if the playoffs have to come through Green Bay, motherfuckers be coming in scared. They be coming in, I don't want to go get hit out in that fucking cold. I don't want to go out there and fucking have to run down and have Aaron Jones running down my fucking neck. I do not want that. As a Packers fan, I do want that, though. That's the best part about getting home field advantage. Hasn't been Lambeau Field for a very long time up there because we haven't had home playoff games. But this year, very well could be the year that it goes through the title town, USA, Lambeau Field, Green Bay. It could happen. Just like the kid from Angels in the Outfield. It could happen. Shit. I thought we were going to the fucking Super Bowl a couple years ago and Seattle said, hey, it could happen. So anything can fucking happen in this goddamn league. All right. So really with the Packers winning and us moving on to next week, I probably won't do another podcast about the Packers until maybe Friday or Saturday. This was just a quick overlook of a pretty terrible game. This was a uh, look at where we are. We stand. And I really enjoyed watching us beat the Redskins, which we haven't done in the last two games against them. So it was a really good win. I liked it. We won 10-3. and three. Looking forward to Chicago next week. Looking forward to beating the Bears. I think that's my second favorite thing next to beating the Vikings. All right, we're going to go ahead and switch gears here now. It's uh, It's been one of my favorite pastimes to talk with friends it's been one of my favorite things to do is to kind of look at movies in a different light especially a movie you've seen eight billion times and you know it line for line it's almost like music to you you can know which part's coming up i have a couple different theories about a great series of movies and we're going to go ahead and get into that next these are this is my this is my theory about the mighty ducks so Mighty Ducks number one. All right, the Mighty Ducks movie. Okay, fantastic movie. I just want to get this disclaimer out there. I am not bashing this movie. I am not saying this movie is bad. I am not even encouraging you to diss this movie. However, if you didn't like it, go ahead and throw that out there. That would be a good, you know, first heat wave of, of comments that I could get. But this movie has been in my life since I was a kid. I fucking love the Mighty Ducks. It is one of those movies that you put on. I'm just going to watch the whole series because I have to. Yeah, if you watch one, you got to watch two, which means you got to watch the third one. But there's a couple different things that when I was watching it this past time that I kind of didn't notice the first couple times, hundred times watching this sh- uh, this movie. 
And the first thing that I want to talk about is the DUI at the beginning of Mighty Ducks 1. Gordon Bombay, a successful lawyer, out celebrating his recent victory, which he uses the law to gain the advantage over a very innocent person. But because he's a defense lawyer, he's got to, you know, work his magic. And he gets pulled over drinking a beer while driving, not going to get drunk at a bar and get in the car and go literally drinking a beer in a Disney movie and driving. So when you look at the movie to start off, you're kind of going, this is not the Mighty Ducks I thought this was going to be. They kind of posted this as a kid-friendly film, and you got DUIs in the first scene. But I get it. You had to have him be in trouble in order to go and coach a peewee league because apparently in Minnesota, that's the fucking punishment you get for a DUI. A fine, suspension of license, and also your community service is being a peewee hockey coach? Shit, I know a bunch of people that would take that fucking deal. Paying $5,000 for lawyers and shit and fees and stuff. I mean, that's fucking bullshit. Whatever Minnesota law, whatever which way he worked this, maybe it was because he was a lawyer. He said, I'll take the community service. And I'm like, sure, here you go, peewee hockey coach. Because you remember that one time as a kid you played hockey? Yeah, here's a hockey coach now. And also, what the fuck is he doing, this judge, giving a, a drunken alcoholic lawyer who has no kids the responsibility to coach peewee hockey? Has he ever played hockey before? Does he like some sort of magician when it comes to knowing the ins and outs of hockey? Motherfucker hasn't played since he was like six years old. But that's this movie. This movie kind of has to set shit up for you just to make him fit in the right hole so that way when it goes to the next thing, it's all set up. Because what we're going to talk about next is the fact that this motherfucker uses the, the entirety of the rules because he's a lawyer to, again, cheat his way to victory. This motherfucker goes out and gets the best team or the best player from the best team in the league, the Hawks. The Hawks have yet to lose a championship besides the one Gordon Bombay lost for them when he was a kid. That's their only fucking loss. That's amazing. That's a fucking dynasty. Fuck the Patriots. That's the fucking dynasty. So when we have now the Hawks, the best player in this little peewee hockey league that has banners up there for national championships, they have their number one guy, their number one player, the player that's going to take them to another championship, Adam fucking Banks. Adam Banks is their best kid. He also looks like just that preppy rich kid that everyone fucking hates. But he's actually pretty cool. He just loves the game of hockey, and they kind of showed that. But his other two friends, the dickholes that wanted to have nothing to do with the Ducks and made their life a fucking rich hell, they fucking end up being the two biggest douchebags that should have never played hockey. Motherfuckers taking people out. But we'll get to that. I'm jumping ahead of myself here. We're going to get to that. So Emilio Estevez, Gordon fucking Bombay unleashes his lawyerness lawyered and says Adam Banks actually lives in this district which makes him actually a duck that's some fucking bullshit they redrew the lines and Adam Banks lives in a poor neighborhood I don't know where they redraw lines and shit maybe it just happens all the time I don't fucking know but all of a sudden now Adam Banks is a mighty fucking duck and the Hawks still are the Hawks they apparently didn't need to have this Adam Banks kid because they're still winning games. 
But Adam Banks joins the fucking Ducks. Of course, no one likes him. That's here nor there. But the most important thing is this motherfucker scores 95% of the goals for the Ducks for the rest of the season. There's only two other times, three other times, that a different Mighty Duck will score throughout the rest of this movie. And that is the figure skater, Tommy? No. Tammy. Tammy Duncan. She scores a goal by distracting the players and letting her brother just put it right in. Maybe assist versus Tom. I guess Tommy would get the goal then. So assist. And then the only other time someone scores is you have Fulton Reed powering of NHL power slap shot after he's scared everyone and the beats the Cardinals. And then the next time someone scores that's not Adam Banks is fucking Charlie Conway. And he only scores because motherfucker got tripped and penalized. So without Adam Banks, the way that Gordon Bombay purposely used the laws to take this kid off of a team in which he had friends on, which his dad worked his ass to get him to play at that level, to have to go back and play with a bunch of rejects? I mean, sure, they win. Because that's how, that's how the movie works. They had to take out Adam Banks at the end of the movie, which, by the way, also gives us our greatest line in any movie from this era. Well, at least from this series. When Adam Banks get a, gets a breakaway, he's deacon. He deeks left. He deeks right. And a kid from behind just jacks him, just like forearm to the neck, sends him careening in, scoring, but careening into the goalpost. And one of the kids goes, oh, no, oh, no, what did you do? And with the best-looking snarl face ever, he delivers the line, my job. Fucking sign that kid up. That kid gets it. That kid knows how to play competitive hockey, especially if you want to be a goon. Shit. All right, so Adam Banks is the only person right now to have scored or at least is a threat to score for the Ducks. But, of course, in Mighty Ducks 1, you have to get over the fact that Charlie and Gordon have to have this father-son relationship now because Gordon's banging the mom, or at least wants to. And, of course, at the end of the movie, he says, Peace! I ain't gonna do shit with you. I'm gonna go play fucking hockey in the minor leagues. That's my fucking goal. So he bails on the mom and Charlie and everyone else. But, of course, they're cool because, you know, they still have that one magical moment. But that's going to go ahead and lead us now into Mighty Ducks 2. Uh, if you didn't know, Mighty Ducks won the first movie, of course. The Charlie Conway break, on a breakaway gets uh, fouled, and he has to do, he gets a free shot. And of course, he triple deeks because that's the triple deke move, which no one sees to fucking stop. But that's the, uh, that's the end of the first movie. Ducks win. Ducks win. And then we go on to Mighty Ducks 2, which apparently Mighty Ducks 2 only takes place a year later. So Gordon goes off and has this freak knee injury, which of course it must suck to be an athlete in 1994. Cause in 94, if you just get hurt once you're fucking done, Gordon gets hurt in the knee and his career is now over because of course a knee injury signifies you can never rehab and never come back and your dreams are just crushed, but that's okay. Cause he's going to get a second chance. Mighty ducks two is by far my favorite in the series. Uh, just because I was at the right age at the right time. Uh, there's a fun family story where we were watching the movie and we decided to go play some street puck and 
my brother shattered our sliding glass door. That was fun. At least I didn't do it. Sorry, bro. <laughs> but Mighty Ducks 2, which of course, which is, all right, for, let me start off. First things first. Mighty Ducks 2. Weirdest fucking VHS cover ever, right? It has a Mighty Duck. I think it's Jesse. And then he, the, the opponent is Trinidad and Tobago. The first team that they play in the Goodwill Tournament. Why? Why not put Iceland on there? The actual, like, foe that they're going to be fighting or playing against for the championship. Would have been really cool to see a big guy versus a little duck and be like, oh, how are they going to overcome that? But no, they put the Trinidad and Tobago team on there for some fucking reason. But since this is a Disney movie, they did want to make sure that they were probably kid-friendly with that. So, you know, it's fucking Disney. Hope I don't get in trouble for saying that. I do love Disney. Don't don't cancel me. Uh, so we're a year later. Okay, so Mighty Ducks win the first one. A year later, Gordon goes off, has an injury while playing minor league hockey. And we are now sitting here a year later where he's back in the same basic position he was in. No job. Working in his old kid's job with his uncle, Johan. But now it's Hans. For some reason, Johan didn't want to be in this movie, so they got Hans, his brother. Easy. And now he's just doing his old shit. Like, why couldn't you have just stayed, like, hung out with this girl, maybe started a happy life? You know, you didn't have to go play hockey at 33. It was kind of like CM Punk going to do MMA. Like, it's cool, but you should have done that, like, 10 years ago. I mean, I get it. I'm 34. I could barely move. But, okay, so we're now... In the movie, everyone's kind of reintroducing themselves. Charlie's grown up. Everyone's grown up. Remembering the good old days. And Hans tells Gordon that the USA Goodwill Games is looking for a hockey coach. And, of course, it's Gordon because everyone heard about the story that he took the, this peewee hockey team from rags to riches. And now he's the greatest hockey coach ever. You know, just up there in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Must be something in Minnesota. I mean, I fucking hate Minnesota. Like, not the state, just the Vikings, but I hate Minnesota. So, what do they do? They ask Gordon to go get the entirety of the Ducks that want to play. Uh, the ones that didn't bail out or quit after this one year of winning a championship. So, he goes and gets the main cast. You got Charlie. You got uh, Averman. You got Jesse. You got Fulton. You got Guy Germain. You got them all. Okay, and they're going, but there are some key pieces missing. Peter's gone. Carp is gone. This brother and sister duo are gone. Jesse's brother ends up leaving the, the, the area like he's not to be seen. Maybe he moved to Chicago and became an actor. Who knows? You know, not that I know what ended up happening to that actor. Not going to get into that. So we now have the whole team made up, but there's like 12 kids. I mean, hockey is is not, you know, you, you need a little bit more. So instead of going out and staying in the Minnesota hotbed of hockey, because that's where apparently all the best players play, none of the Blackhawks, or sorry, Hawks, none of the other team, the best team that's been the best for forever, none of them make the junior goodwill team. None of them. That That's ridiculous. I have been around competitive sports, and no matter if you win one championship, there is probably not a chance you're going to win another one unless you're a dynasty like the Hawks were. So no Hawks player ends up making the Junior Goodwill Games because of they were mean, 
oh, they weren't nice to the people who we like, so they don't get to play anymore. They just have to stick around and be on their yacht boats, damn Minnesota rich kids. No, fuck that. I still think they should have joined the teams together because that's what Team USA, instead of having these new cats coming from across the lands, they just take the best of those two teams because they're fucking great and get rid of Coach Riley and put in Coach Bombay. Boom! You got yourself a fucking team of actual good and they all know each other. They probably like went to different schools, but they all still know each other, obviously, because they were in the same town. So why not? You'd have that instant chemistry. But nope. What they did instead is they brought in Luis Mendoza. They brought in Portman. They brought in Julie the Cat. They brought in Dwayne. And they brought in Kenny Wu. Kenny Wu. I've never heard of these guys. Where were these guys when Gordon Bombay was winning championships in Minnesota? Nowhere. But apparently they're good enough to be on the Junior Goodwill Games. At least the team. I mean, shit. All right. So now we have the team assembled. And we're looking for a lot more diversity. Yeah, we have like basically the same pairings. You got the guy who's afraid of losing his job. You got the two big tough guys. But there's one I want to talk about. One. Luis... Mendoza. Now, this is one of those movie theories where you're going to have to go ahead and stretch, stretch your mind for a little bit. Think about it. Think about the movies. This will click. Luis Mendoza is Benny the Jet Rodriguez's illegitimate grandchild or child. Follow me here. So what we do know is that in the early 90s, an older, older Benny the Jet Rodriguez is playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers. We see that infamous scene in Sandlot where he is stealing home base at the end of the movie. What if during the prime of Benny the Jet Rodriguez's career, he happened to have a little fling? He happened to get frisky. Maybe he likes to fuck. Who knows? But what I'm saying is that Benny the Jet Rodriguez had sex with a woman who was Luis Mendoza's mother or grandmother. And out pops Luis Mendoza from Miami, where they had to move to furthest away from L.A. to get away from deadbeat daddy Benny Rodriguez. Not to say that Benny was a bad, but they had to get away for some reason. Maybe they sent him out there. Who knows why they were in Miami. But that's where Luis Mendoza was able to have his athleticism. You notice anything familiar between Benny the Jet and Luis Mendoza? Fucking speed. Speed, ladies and gentlemen. They were both too fast. One outran the beast. One can go 1.125 blue line to blue line. That's motherfucking speed right there. So what I'm saying is that Benny's mom hooked up with a Tampa Bay Lightning or a Florida Panther back in the day, and he just grew up in a hockey household. There was no baseball. Who wants to play for the Devil Rays? Fuck that shit. Who wants to play for the Marlins? Not at that time. Nah. He played hockey. And not only did he play hockey, he was really good at playing hockey. That's how he made the Junior Goodwill Games because he has the connection. They were going to be playing in Los Angeles. That's where the Junior Goodwill Games takes place. And who is in the stands to watch 
his either grandchild or, or child play in this goodwill game, Benny the Jet Rodriguez was there watching, cheering, maybe trying to figure out. That's where I think maybe why also in the third movie, Luis Mendoza magically has enough money to go to a prep school. Because they did say that he didn't really come from much in the second movie. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he, his dad was like, here, here, uh, have some money to go to this school, stay with your friends. I don't know. But Benny the Jet Rodriguez and Luis Mendoza have to be related. So that's my little side table. You see where my rants can go. I can get pretty far into this. right? We haven't even gotten to the third movie yet. Shit. Let's go over this. Let's see what else we got. What else we're going to go over? Okay, so um, let's go. Yeah, we're done with the second one then. Yeah, I have a bunch of notes that I wanted to go over here. It looks like we've covered them. So we're going to go ahead and jump now to the third movie. Now, the third movie has two big theories that really you have to stretch the imagination, but they click, they make sense, all the parts are there, but some, you know, there's also a lot of things that aren't there that you can see past. But if you believe, and it, believing is half the power here, you have to make sure that you go with these. If you start to like veer off left, it ain't going to work. But here's what we're going to go ahead and do. Mighty Ducks 3 wasn't as bad as I remembered it when I first saw it. However, it takes place eight years after the Mighty Ducks win the Junior Goodwill Games. Now, of course, it is stated that the third one should have never been made and they could have done better, but I still I enjoyed it. I thought it was going to be uh, different. I didn't think they were going to go with the high school aspect of it, but you know, it's only the next, next logical step is to play for a high school team, maybe college and then pros, but the third movie. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. This third movie has caught my eye when I caught the ref from the first movie. And I said, there looks something familiar about him. And I put both on and I compared and I looked at the actors list on IMDb and it's the same actor. The ref in the first movie was also in the second movie and he plays the coach in the third movie. Here's my theory. And again, you're going to have to go with me. I feel that he was trying to screw over the ducks every chance he got. The ref in the first movie, I think, was either a gambling addict or had some sort of in with Coach Riley. There were certain things that didn't get called and certain things that made it look like that they were favoring the Hawks. And so when the Hawks lost to the Ducks, he lost a giant bet that he had on the game because he knew he could fix it. But the Ducks ended up winning because of a Spazway, Charlie Spazway, actually made the goal. Right. Kind of serendipitous, Gordon Miss, you know, whatever. So then he vows, that's it, these fucking ducks, they cost me money, they cost me whatever, my house was on the line, my wife's left me, my kids left me, I hear they're going to go play in the Junior Goodwill games, I'm going to go fucking ref that game and make sure those motherfuckers do not win. So what does he do? He applies to be the ref, and magically ends up becoming the ref in all of the Mighty Ducks movies, our games, moving forward the junior goodwill games every game after that he really wasn't seen unless he was refing in a ducks game which means he pulled all the ducks game you can't just do that that's you know that's why we have different referee crews for every football game so you're not getting the same person over and over there was definite bias and even though he tried to uh, uh allow certain things like the the penalty on adam banks 
where they just straight just use their stick to harm another player, especially for kids. That Iceland player is not he's not going to continue playing. They're not just going to penalize him. Two minutes for hacking? No, that kid is ejected and kicked out of the tournament. I've seen that for less. But instead, this ref can't screw over the Ducks because they take him to overtime, which is a shootout, which is hard to rig. Comes up to just talent on talent. So in the third movie, this motherfucker spends the next eight years going from peewee ref to junior goodwill games ref and learns the ins and outs of becoming a coach not just any coach the best coach to allure in a team that he is going to use to destroy the ducks now how does how does he know the ducks are going to go to this exact school well it's because he found out while he was coaching elsewhere where the ducks were going to go because the eden hall uh, school did put out contracts so he knew that that was a thing he then you got hired used his influence to use that same scholarship tactic to lure in the ducks hey let's go get those kids who just won the goodwill games or won the goodwill games a couple years back let's bring them into our high school we'll have a new and upcoming team after the seniors leave these freshmen will carry us only just to bring the ducks in just to embarrass them this man is sick this man has taken his entire life to a whole new level, trying to ruin the lives of some kids. Sounds like a fucking Scooby-Doo ending, I know. But it doesn't work. This motherfucker keeps betting that he, since he's the ref or the coach, he knows how to play the game. So this motherfucker takes the next eight years of his life, comes the coach, and still fucking loses. That's just, that's just sad. But that's my theory about the ref. Go back and watch. You'll see certain things and certain penalties that weren't fucking called during these games. And you're going to wonder, what the fuck, ref? Why are you allowing this shit to happen? Right? It all fits. All right. And so one of the last things, though, of the third movie takes us back to the ending of the second movie. At the very last scene in Mighty Ducks 2, the way the Ducks win is a final shootout moment. Tense situation. On Iceland, Team Iceland, you got the main guy, the star of the team, the, the number one scorer in the entire tournament, Gunnar Stahl. What happens? Gordon Bombay, in a shocking move, takes out his goalie who's been goaltending the entire season, the entire playoffs, this entire tournament, and puts in Julie the Cat Gaffney for one save. And, of course, we know this works. This is a smart, is a crazy move. It's one of those moves you wouldn't do every time, but he felt it. So he puts in Julie the Cat Gaffney. He knows it's going to be a triple deke, which it's really not a triple deke because he stops. But he goes one, two, three, stops, and fires a slap shot right in. And Julie the Cat Gaffney saves the day. Becomes the hero. Shows the entire world what she can do. It was an amazing moment. However, there's a little scene I think gets passed over. Julie, instead of being super excited, passes by Gunnar Stell and says, nice try. Nice try. It's brilliant. But if you look at what the face of Gunnar Stahl in that moment, it's not hatred. It's not embarrassment. It's fucking love. He's in love. He found the first girl that could take him on one-on-one -on -one and win. He fucking loves it. So what does he do? He goes back to his dick coach, Wolf the Dentist Stanson, and says, let's go shake their hands. 
And that's what they do. Trying to show her, I'm not, uh, to, to, to quote Peter Quill, I'm an asshole, but not 100% a dick. And so he does. He shows up. He, be, he be, does sportsman-like things, shakes the hands, does, you know, good job, Captain Duck. You know, that was great, you know. But then something twisted happens. They get sent back to Iceland. Not many people know this, but they get sent back to Iceland, kind of like Ivan Drago from Russia, and they get ridiculed. They were supposed to dominate. They were supposed to take over and win, but they didn't. So they get punished. Uh, and the parents lose their jobs. You know, they have to get evicted. You know, they, they get kicked out of school. But Gunner is smart. This motherfucker sees what's happening. He gets on the next flight to America and flies to Minneapolis. Why? Because that's where Julie the Cat Gaffney was last seen. She's from Maine. But after the tournament, Julie the Cat Gaffney is going to go to high school with the rest of the Mighty Ducks. So Gunnar Stahl is a couple years older than Julie at this time. So he knows that when Julie becomes a freshman, that there's going to be an opportunity where he could be a senior and she could be a freshman. Maybe a junior. Maybe it's like a two to three year difference. So he scouts and he hears that there is going to be a hockey team that needs a new goalie for high school. So what does he do? Looks at the area. Gets wind that Julie the Cat Gaffney is going to go to this high school. And he joins up and switches positions from center to goalie. Why? Because that's what his girl does. That's what Julie the Cat Gaffney is, is the goaltender for the Mighty Ducks. So he changes his name to Scooter, which I think is hilarious, and joins this high school hockey team as a goalie. He kind of doesn't know English very well. He kind of is a little bit of an outsider, so he puts on a doofus look, kind of a goofy, you know, <laughs> I don't know much, you know, but tends to fool everyone in the town that they don't know who this kid is. However, he's cool. He's just the goal. He's just Scooter. He scoots my goots, you know. He's my boy. But all in all, Gunnar Stahl has an opportunity now to profess his love to Julie the Cat Gaffney. And he does so throughout this entire movie. Hitting on her, winking at her, complimenting her, letting her know he's, that he's interested. But she, he, she shoots him down. It's not the fact that she knows who he is. He's, who the fuck's this guy? Doesn't get it, but he keeps trying. And at the very end of the game, what do we see? The pissed off Rick Riley. I think that's his name. Let's see here. Yeah, Rick Riley. Okay. He ends up, okay, looking at all his buddies who are all like, well, maybe the ducks aren't so bad, you know. Maybe they, they can come in. Oh, look, they changed their school name. Oh, look, we're the Ducks now. We're the Eden Hall Ducks versus the Eden Hall Warriors. We set that up in the earlier in the film, and now we're delivering on it. Bird, thanks, Gordon Bombay. No, every one of his friends is sitting there happy, successful, having kisses. And that's what he sees. He sees Scooter kissing Julie. Two goalies getting on in the middle of the, middle of the rink. That's what I'm talking about. That's true love. Now, if she would have known the extent in which he went to track her down and find her and make her fall in love with him, that might have changed things a little bit. But that's why these Disney movies are so fucked up sometimes is because they have these underlying tones in which you have to look for. 
All right, so that's going to go ahead and do it for episode number two, the Pack Quack Attack. This has been Tom Osborne with Midnight Cheese, and I just want to thank you guys for tuning in to episode number two. Again, if you have any questions uh, you want me to answer here on the podcast, go ahead and email me at themidnightcheese at gmail.com. You can also tweet me. Uh, it's a little bit different. You're going to have to use uh, at midnight, that's M-I-D underscore N-I-G-H-T, and of course, the cheese. Signing off, of course, stay tuned and stay classy.